0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on August twenty second, 2021, during our Sunday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15am, Sunday morning service at 10.30am, Sunday evening service for adults at 6.30pm, youth group on Sundays at 6pm, and Wednesdays at 6.30pm. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the word of god but for now grab your bible open your ears and let's get into it
1: Has praying ever felt like a game of of tug-of-war with yourself? Sometimes you don't know what to pray. You know you need to. You want to sometimes even. You're in such a state of desperation and yet you don't know how. Or you don't know how to reconcile when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but then at the same time, give us this day our daily bread. It creates tension in our hearts when we pray. Maybe that's why we don't do it as often as we should. Another thing that causes tension in our prayers and and, and is that tug of war is the issue of forgiveness both the forgiveness that we need that we don't want to deal with cuz we don't want to give up what we have need of forgiveness of and also at the same time that tug that we know that we're supposed to forgive and we don't want to that creates tension inside of us that pulls us in different directions well We understand that prayer can be a tug of war, but it's a tension that is there for a reason. God creates beautiful music when there's tension. Appreciate uh, Chuck and Amber playing. Appreciate Dean and Karen playing. None of those instruments that were played tonight would work without tension piano will go right out of tune a guitar a bass will go right out of tune without tension we need tension to create music in tune and God will use the tension in our life God will use the tension in our prayer lives to create beautiful music and so as we go back to Matthew chapter 6 today and we consider again what we often call the Lord's Prayer as I said, it, it really is more, much more appropriately called the, the Disciples' Prayer because it's not what Jesus needed to pray, but it is what we need to pray, that we understand how to live with this faith intention and how to pray our way through it and see God do some amazing and wonderful things. Now, before we dive into the middle of this prayer, let me just remind you what we saw last week when we began to look at this prayer. One of Jesus' disciples came to him in Luke where we have this same teaching in in a more compact form and, and said, Lord, teach us to pray the way that John taught his disciples to pray, speaking of John the Baptist. And so Jesus is showing us how he expects, how he commands his disciples to pray. And last week we focused on how we approach God, how we approach God in prayer. Let's pick it up again in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, but thou whence thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. It says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Pray sincerely and secretly. Then he says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, just taking a phrase. And praying it over and over and over and over again. This prayer that Jesus has given to us is a way to pray. It is not a formula that we just recite like some type of incantation. And as we chant this prayer, things happen like some kind of magic. Jesus isn't giving us a a, a magic spell to speak. He's giving us the things that we need to pray about in in a way that we pray through this prayer. We don't just use vain repetitions as the heathen. They think they'll be heard for their much speaking, but be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so this is how we need to approach God. We need to approach God correctly. Again, not as a hypocrite, not as one of the heathens, So we have to check our mannerisms. We have to focus on, am I praying often? Is this a part of my life? Is prayer part of my lifestyle? I have to check my motives. Why am I praying? Am I praying just so God will build my kingdom? Or am I praying to build God's kingdom? And then I do have to check my methods. Make sure I'm not using vain repetitions and just chanting phrases and trying to put myself in some semi-hypnotic state and thinking that that's going to get God's attention. I also said last week, as Jesus said, that we need to approach him intimately as his child. We saw that this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, that we have access because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and shedding his blood to pay for our sin, and because of his resurrection, now all who accept Christ by faith, all who recognize that they're a sinner bound for hell, but that Jesus Christ has shed his blood to pay for our sin and we Confess that we cannot save ourselves, we can't forgive ourselves, and so we are accepting the forgiveness that he has purchased for us in his death, through his resurrection. We are forgiven, we are given eternal life, we are brought into his family, we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, that he brings us into the body. He is the spirit of adoption. That word access, as we saw this morning, Ephesians 2.18, means that we have intimate interaction we're not here to be spectators we're not here to just listen you say well I don't know the song so I can't sing along well you can sing with your heart as you look at the words and as you confess those words we can sing from our heart when you when you hear someone else praying up here you can pray with us and with them and there's things that sometimes we get wrong. You can take care of that to the Lord. You can take that right to the Lord right there. We are all in Christ priests. And so we approach God with the intimate access of a child. We approach him correctly, intimately. We approach him worshipfully with reverence for his name. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God is a reference to the Trinity of God. Pastor Nick uh, got the exciting opportunity to Baptized two young men this morning, and he baptized them in the name, singular name, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. And as we saw last week, the name of God also brings with it an understanding of the presence of God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the Old Testament tells us. The righteous run in and find shelter. That means that we, when we approach God with reverence and worship for his name, that we recognize the presence of God with us, in us through the Holy Spirit, and in us as a body through the work of the Holy Spirit as well. And so that should give us the um, approach of confidence. We approach him confidently, but it should also be very humbling to us, and we should approach God submissively and as i said in closing last week disciples do not pray to get their own way and if i'm coming to god only wanting my will be done james says you ask but you don't have because you just want to consume things on your own lust and so that's how to approach god but again that approach brings with us tension because i'm asking god for his will to be done but then i've got all these things that i need I've got all these burdens that I'm carrying. I've got all these fears that I'm trying to overcome by faith. I've got all of these challenges, all of this pain that I'm dealing with. And so how do we pray through that tension? How do we turn tension into beautiful music? Well, we see in verses 11 through 13, four pleas of the disciple. Four thing that God commands us to pray for and we're only going to look at the first two of these tonight will lord willing be able to look at three and four next week but let's read these verses uh, also together matthew chapter 6 verse 11 give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen So four things that Jesus says we're to pray for. We're to pray for provision. We're to pray that God gives us what we need for today. Give us this day our daily bread. Number two, we're to pray for absolution. We're to pray for healing in our relationships, both our relationship with our Father and our relationship with those who have injured us and who have hurt us. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at direction, praying for God's direction. Lead us, God but not into temptation. Give us the wisdom to avoid bad decisions and wrong choices. And fourthly, deliverance from evil or deliverance from the evil one. Deliverance from our adversary. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, seeking whom he may devour. And you have to resist him. Standing firm in the faith. And one of the ways that we resist him is prayer. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. When we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Rhema, the word in season, the applied word of God, praying in the Spirit, God's word. So, provision and absolution, direction and protection. Let's talk about provision tonight. And let's look at this tension between. Give us this day our daily bread, and thy will be done. So let's just walk through this phrase together. What is Jesus saying to us when he tells us to pray, give, give? This is more than a request. This is a recognition that as James chapter 1, verse 17 says, the Father in heaven is the source of, The only source of every good and perfect gift. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And with him, there is no shadow of turning. Have you ever seen a match or a candle cast a shadow? The candlestick casts a shadow. The flame does not cast a shadow. The flame does not cast a shadow because the flame is light and light doesn't cast shadows and he is the father of lights. That means when God gives something, there's not strings attached. Oh, when we give gifts to one another, there are strings attached. Even when we don't want there to be strings, there are expectations that we have just as as, as being sinners, just as, as being uh, people who have uh, needs of our own that we cannot meet, we we have strings that we, even when we don't want them to be attached. And, of course, beware of Greeks bearing gifts because sometimes those strings are there by design. And I learned that lesson the hard way one time when I was an RA and one of my um, uh, students or, or one of the guys that lived on my hall, he said he wanted to do a favor for me and I being a dumb 21 year old i guess at the time said oh sure well thank you a lot sean i really appreciate that and as soon as he did it and i said oh hey thank you so much for doing that i really appreciate it he said now maybe you'll do something for me sometime and i realized up walked right into that trap god is the source of every good and every perfect gift that means that when we're asking god to give us something we're not making demands we're not telling God what he's going to do. Now, there's a difference between claiming the promises of God and making demands of God. God tells us there are certain times in the Old Testament, for example, where God will say, test me in this. Test me and see if I'm not going to keep my word. But that, That's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're saying when we don't know what God's will is, how do we get God's will to manifest in our life? How, when we don't know what it is, how do we pray when the Bible isn't clear? I mean, the Bible will give you principles about the kind of job that you should have, but it's not going to, you're not going to be able to use this like some kind of, um, you know, superstitious tool where I'm just going to be able to flip the pages and, and buy my word. That's the name of the place where I just submitted my application. That must be a sign from God that he wants me to take that job if they offer it to me, All right? Give, give. God, you are the source. I am dependent on you. Notice the second word there, give us. Give us. Give our. Boy, what a contrast between the two letters us and the two letters me. Give us. Not just give me, not just my wants, my needs. As a husband, give us my wife and I. As a father, give us our family. As a friend, as a Christian brother, give us this day. Jesus is reminding us that God has no only child except for the only begotten. (laughs) There's one only begotten. There's one son who is eternal. The rest of us are adopted by the work of that son, through the work of that son, and by the grace of the Father into the family of God. So we need to pray not just for our own needs, but for one another's needs and this is what paul modeled for us throughout the epistles that he wrote we've spent uh, a little bit of time a few weeks ago looking at ephesians chapter one his prayer for the ephesians we see that his prayer for the colossians we see his prayer for the philippian christians we see paul praying for the church and by doing so he is modeling for us how we should be praying for one another that's why we have a prayer gathering and a prayer meeting every wednesday night So that we are praying together for one another and for one another's needs. We have to pray for our own needs, absolutely. But we have to pray for the needs of others or our attitude, our motive is not pure. Give us our daily bread. And that brings us to the next phrases. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is reminding us in these words that... He alone is, as Isaiah says, he is our arm, our strength, our strength. I'm not going to flex for you. You guys would just laugh. Do you know that God in the Old Testament several times says, check out these guns, basically? Check out how strong my arm is. Oh, you think you're so strong? Who do you think gave Samson his strength? and took it right back away oh i know that jacob wrestled with me all night long he persisted and he beat me by the way when does a man beat god it's a trick question only when god wants him to that's right only when god wants him to win God says, I want to bless you, Jacob, and the only way that I can get you to get you to submit and get you to receive the blessing that I want to give to you, you're trying to get it through your own machinations. You're trying to get it through your own work. I want to give you this blessing, so I guess I'm going to have to fight you for it and let you win. But then what did he do after that loss? You ever let your kids win, dads? You ever let your kids win? Some of you say, no, never. (laughs) God lets us win some because he wants to bless us. But with Jacob, he left him a reminder, didn't he? He said, oh, just so you know that I let you win. And he touched the strongest joint in the human body, and he crippled it with a touch. He didn't even have to touch it, but there's something about touch that sticks with us, that, that makes something even more uh, uh, resonating with us. And so Jacob limped for the rest of his life. Every time he got out of bed, every time he stood up after dinner, he remembered where he got his blessing and the cost of his blessing because he wrestled with God. We need to remember that God is our strength. God is the source of our blessings, and God is our strength, and he is our salvation also in the time of trouble, Isaiah 33. And as Jeremiah cries out in Lamentations, which is a book about exactly what it sounds, a book of lament, yet even in Lamentations, Jeremiah rejoices through the tears that God's mercies and compassions are new every morning and he cries out great is thy faithfulness see prayer must be a day of a way of life it must be a daily habit not a weekly habit not a week not, not when i gather together at church but a way of life pray without ceasing Paul says that doesn't mean that we just pray 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 and do nothing else but it means that we need to be so aware of the presence of God in our life that we are communicating with him at all times and prayer should be just a natural response my wife was talking to me just er, just earlier today as I was making coffee and I was listening to her but I was so focused on the coffee I didn't realize she was right behind me so I turned around and I spilled my coffee was so focused on what I was doing that even though I was listening to her and even though I knew she was behind me, I didn't know she was right behind me. And she being the wonderful wife she is, she actually even cleaned up my mess. Do you believe that? She cleaned the mess off the floor for me before I could get to it. I wasn't racing to do it, but I mean, she, she did it. <laughs> How often do we forget that God is present with us? Now I know that we can't see him. He doesn't. Uh, speak to us in the same way every day that that our spouse does. Faith is involved, obviously. We walk by faith, not by sight. But nevertheless, prayer must be a way of life. It has to be a day-by-day thing. God gives us strength for today. He gives you strength for today. And there's a reason for that. And one of the reasons is none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. Now, I hope I see you all here back back here next Sunday Sunday morning, Sunday night. I hope that I see all of you. But the sobering reality is that I have been in services one week where someone I was with in that service did not make it back to church the next week because they were in the in the church up in heaven. And we never know when our day is called, when our number is called, when our day to meet Jesus is. So we need to pray for daily bread, daily bread. Now, obviously, Jesus is not just saying you need to pray for bread and nothing else. Bread is symbolic here. Bread is symbolic of everything we need for life. Because you can't live without food for very long. Not for very long. Now, when we run out of oxygen, we know that quickly. You can only go a a short period of time without water. But here's the thing about going without food. In the first few hours after you normally eat, there's intense hunger. Hunger. And even, and uh, the longest I've ever fasted has been 30 hours. We did, uh, when I was a youth pastor, we did what's called the 30-hour famine one time in my youth group, and I, I didn't want to do it after that for reasons I won't go into tonight, but 30 hours is the longest I've ever fasted. Some, some of you may have fasted for days, three days, three, four days. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. By the way, uh, that is humanly possible. Uh, you need to consult a physician before you do something like that because there are there are not everyone can do that for health reasons and um, God certainly certainly does not call very many of us to do that. Moses, uh, Elijah, uh, Jesus. So there's some rare air there. There are some other men who have done extended fasts, but here's what they tell us: after a few days, the Hunger subsides, and your body adapts, and your body begins to consume itself, consume your reserves. And I say that because you can backslide and feel the convicting of the Holy Spirit, and you'll feel that convicting, but if you don't respond right away, his still small voice could become white noise and that hunger can dissipate but it's because you're actually consuming yourself and then you wake up emaciated spiritually not because God is not standing right there wanting to give you the bread that you need but because you have sought to serve yourself so bread represents everything we need to live And it's also a reminder of what should be sufficient to satisfy us. We are hard to satisfy, aren't we? I can't get no satisfaction. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. But we can't ever get satisfied by the things of this world. Ever, they don't. They're not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough stuff to satisfy. When those are the things that we seek, and so we need to learn to be content. That doesn't mean that God doesn't give us more, much more above and beyond what we deserve. I I shared this with uh, our church at Penwood uh, a number of years ago when I was still the assistant pastor there. I said, you know what? I realized the biggest problem that I have, what caused me anxiety today was that I didn't have room in our refrigerator in our apartment to fit all the food that I had just bought and I had to stop myself and realize how much I had been blessed that that was what talking about first world problems that was what was aggravating me Oh, God, why am I still in this? Why are we still in this apartment? Why can't we get a house? God, why won't you put us where you're going to put us so that Gigi and I can buy a house and we can get our, you know. I'm focused on what I don't have while I try to stuff my stuff in the fridge. And the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and I realized I am not so easily satisfied as I should be with what God has given me. Those who want to get rich, Paul warns in 1 Timothy 6, fall into a trap. Money is not evil. Money is a tool. But it can also be a trap. So money is not, it's not wrong to have money. It's a blessing. Use it wisely. But if that's the focus, we can get ourselves into trouble. So how do I resolve this tension? I pray, Lord, give us. You're the source. I'm coming with my with the request of all of us my brothers and sisters I'm asking for God what you can do for me today what you will do for me today and God I'm asking for what I really need and not just the stuff I want so make the request do your part we talked about that a a few weeks ago and I think it was on a Wednesday night talked about um, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. We, We ask, but then we have to actually seek. We have to actually do our own part. We don't just sit back and wait for God to do the work for us. Sometimes we pray for a ditch, and God hands us a shovel. Sometimes we pray for an apple, and God gives us a seed to plant in the ground, and we don't get it right away. Make the request, do your part, then trust his heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, that's provision. Let's talk for a moment about absolution. Repentance and forgiveness. When we are unrepentant, when we are unforgiven, we're not only going to not know what to pray, we're probably not really going to want to pray at all because of the convicting of the Holy Spirit. So when there are times in my life when I don't really want to pray, I'm just going to need to ask myself a couple questions. Number one, what sin am I holding on to that the Holy Spirit has been putting the microscope over and I refuse to look in because I don't want to give it up or I don't want to admit I was wrong or I don't want to humble myself and have to go to somebody else and say, will you please forgive me for what I said or for what I did? Or somebody hurt me in such a way that I don't think I could ever forgive them. And that bitterness is affecting my relationship with God. And if either of those are true, I'm going to find myself in prayer paralysis. I told you last week about when I was uh, at a great time of need and I had an opportunity to pastor a group of kids who were in tears and who were crying because their friend Clark was in the emergency room, not knowing, we didn't know if he was still alive or not. And I was asked to pray, and I had nothing. I was, My spirit was paralyzed, and it was because there were things in my life that I had not surrendered to God. I, I, there were things I needed to repent of. And there was forgiveness that I needed to give. And that is how we break through the prayer paralysis. So let's talk for just a moment about repentance. Look again at what uh, Jesus says, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's not one or the other it's not I'll repent, but I won't forgive. It's not I'll be able to forgive, but I'm not going to repent. These things go hand in hand. So let's talk about repentance. Repentance brings immediate restoration of fellowship with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know what I want to hear from my son when he lies boldly to my face? You want to hear what what I want to hear from my son when he Gets mad and he pushes me or he throws something in anger. I want to hear a sincere "I'm sorry." And I'm I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to forgive. Now sometimes I need to calm down for a few seconds before I forgive. But that's that's the human in me, right? Not to justify it. That's the human. But I want to forgive my son. I want to have that restored relationship with my son. I want to forgive. God wants to forgive you and God stands ready to forgive, but until you admit that you have this sin issue, the fellowship is going to be broken. doesn't mean that God kicks you out of the family, but it does mean that the fellowship is broken. I mean, can you ever think of a time when uh, you wanted to get something from mom and dad, and dad said, go clean your room, and you hung out in your room, and you didn't do anything, and you come back and said, Dad, can I go do this? Can I go, Can I have that? Did you clean your room? Well, go clean your room. Then come back and talk to me. We do it again and we do it again. You wasted your whole Saturday. Is your room clean? No. Then go clean your room. No TV until you clean your room. I mean, it's not complicated, but why do we think that God the Father doesn't wait until we have dealt with our sin before he extends those blessings to us and restores that fellowship to us and the peace that passes all understanding to us see the reality is sin hinders prayer and it hinders the answers to prayer there are many verses that we could multiply for you tonight one of them though that strikes for me as a husband is first peter 3 7 where peter warns husbands guys if you're not loving your wives you might as well not bother praying Guys if you're not treating your wife the way I want you to that's my daughter that's my that's my daughter you better go deal with that issue before you come and ask me for other anything else. You start loving on my daughter and then we can talk about blessing and hearing your prayers and answering but sometimes we don't have sometimes we don't have the answer to prayer because it's not for our good sometimes we don't have the answer for our prayer because it's the, not the right time but sometimes we don't have the answer for our prayer because We're not repentant. And God says, I'm not going to hand this to you while you're breaking, while you're getting mad and throwing things at me. When I was a social worker, I had things thrown at me. and God protected me several times from getting seriously injured. I can remember one time I had this kid, and and I was one of, uh, you know, I had one of the staff that got along with him most of the time, but, man, when he would hit the meltdown button, and I saw him go into his pocket, and I saw him cock his arm back, And I moved faster than you would think I could move. And I heard that bang, that rock, hit where my head had just been. So we need to make sure that we are dealing with our sin when we come to God in prayer. When we sin, we dishonor the Son who gave his life for us, shed his blood to pay for our sin. Paul says in Romans 6, Uh, guys, how should we continue in sin? He said, should we continue in sin that God gives us more and more grace? I mean, Jesus died on the cross for us. He demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners. He, He died for us. But should we just continue in sin so that we get more and more of his grace? And he says, may it never be. Meganoito is the Greek word. God forbid is how the King James translates it. May it never be. How should we that are dead to sin continue to live in it? Why are you still living in sin that Jesus Christ crucified? We dishonor the Son, we grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians four thirty, and we provoke the Father to discipline us, Hebrews chapter twelve, verses five through thirteen. So can I just can I just plead with you as a brother in Christ, just repent, just repent. To the, when the Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction in your life, I'm not going to go through the list because some of you right now you know exactly what the Holy Spirit wants you to deal with. I don't need to name off a, a list. As I've said before, sometimes that's appropriate because sometimes God gives us a list. Sometimes we need to hear about something that we forgot that we've really been brushing under the carpet. But I think that the Holy Spirit is pointing some fingers right now that I don't even need to mention what's going on in your life. Repent. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says, son, daughter, let me give you a hug. I love you. I didn't go anywhere. I'm glad that we can deal with this issue. Repent. Oh, but here's the hard part. It's been said that the three hardest words in the English language are, I was wrong. But I think there are three words that are harder to say and to mean. And those words are, I forgive you. Because, man, when we get hurt, we have scars in our hearts. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but names will forever hurt us if we let them. I mean, I can remember when I was in third grade. And the girl I had a third grade puppy dog crush on, maybe it was fourth grade. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And I was trying to get her attention on the playground out at CCA. And I kind of got in her way because I wanted her to talk to me. She looked at me and she said, get out of the way, fats. I was a little chunky kid. I'm 48 years old. I still remember that. That will always be with me, even though I praise God for the wife he gave me and the way she's blessed me. And certainly don't want anything to work out differently than it has in God's mercy and grace. But listen, words hurt. So we need to forgive, and we need to forgive from the heart. Now, at some point, we're going to do an in-depth study on forgiveness. There's a lot more about forgiveness that we have time to really unpack tonight but when we talk about forgiveness we're seeking the restoration of peace and holiness I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 and then I'm going to say three quick things and then we'll close tonight Romans chapter 12 I beseech you therefore brethren By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know what God's will for your life is? When it's not spelled out in Scripture, you have to start with what is spelled out in Scripture, and that is to present your bodies a living sacrifice and to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Here's the test of that. Here's the evidence of that. Verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. He says, listen, guys, you need to remember that you are part of the body. You're part of the body. You have a role to play. Now let me skip down here to verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation; Let it be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. And verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So when we are hurt, God says a couple things to us. He says, I'm going to deal with it. But I want you to overcome that evil with good. You let me deal with the wrath part. You let me deal with the discipline part. You let me deal with the judgment part. You overcome evil with good so three things very quickly remember that jesus is the one who made forgiveness possible and it's also he's also the one that made forgiving compulsory because he commanded us we looked a um a few weeks ago at the parable of the man who was forgiven a small uh, he was forgiven a great debt by the king but then when he saw somebody that owed him a small debt he uh, grabbed him and he shook him and he threw him in jail and the king found out about it and he said now now you're going to pay back the debt and he threw him in jail and jesus warned us that so shall god do with you when you don't forgive your brother from the heart matthew chapter 18 verse 35 Jesus forgave you. And let me just say this. The forgiven must be the first to forgive. You know it's going to help you to forgive others? When you realize just how great God's amazing grace is in your life. And just how much God really has forgiven in your life. And when we focus on what we have been forgiven, it makes forgiveness of others possible in our heart. Remember, Jesus made forgiveness possible. Number two, remember, though, that grace removes condemnation, not consequences. Grace removes condemnation, not consequences. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are are indebted to us. Forgiving the debtor does not necessarily mean you forgive the debt. It doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. It doesn't, mean you let, it doesn't mean you enable their abuse. Jesus talks about the fact that we still have to repay. When we hurt somebody, we repent. We ask forgiveness. If somebody forgives us, we still have to repay that. And so forgiving somebody who took something from you doesn't mean that you just pretend like it never happened and like they don't owe you anything. Christ commands us to forgive the debtor, not necessarily their debts. You can look at Luke eleven four 4 to check out another verse on that. Because forgiveness does not enable the sins of others. And as Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, forgiveness doesn't always restore relationships in this life. You, forgiveness does not mean we go back to the way things were. As much as it depends on you, live at peace. But peace is not the end-all be-all. Peace is not more important than truth. Peace is not more important than holiness. And we've got a church of compromise in America today because we think keeping the peace is more important than truth. And compromising with sin and sacrificing holiness for the sake of peace is a justification for turning our eyes away from sin and saying things aren't as bad as God says they are. Restoration requires repentance. So I forgive you, but I need to see repentance and the fruits of repentance before I can restore what has been lost. Grace removes condemnation, not consequences. And lastly, as we close, and as Karen comes, we'll have a time of invitation remember that God is their judge and yours. God is their judge and he's your judge. And so when I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody because of what they have done, and as a pastor, as a social worker, I've, I know some horrible, horrible things that have been done to people that I know. And I have no authority as a man to say you need to forgive that but I'm not the one telling you to and I'm not the one who's going to enable you to by my spirit it's his spirit and one of the ways that we reach that conclusion is to remember that we have been forgiven God is my judge I'm trusting on grace and mercy from my judge I'm going to put them in the hands of my judge too
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.